Hello, governors. You're listening to the Dare Daniel podcast, where you send us your most sadistic movie dares, and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, Arthurian legend expert, and with me as always is Daniel Barnes, film critic for the Sacramento News and Review, and a member of the San Francisco Film Critic Circle. Hello everyone, as Corky said on this show, we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can come up with, and then we review and rate them on our unique system. A run-of-the-mill bad film, we rate it dare, we give a double dare to those truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare for a despised movie that is actually pretty good. Daniel also writes a craft beer column for the Sacramento Bee, so Daniel, why don't you tell us a little bit about the beer you've poured for us tonight? So tonight we have Curious Haze by Device Brewing from right here in Sacramento. Uh, Northeast style IPA, 7% alcohol. It's kind of a murky canary yellow color with a thick white head. Um, There it is. (laughs) A mix of dank and citrus aromas, and that's kind of the same on the palate. Uh, Orange, grapefruit, a little bit of pine, some kind of dank flavors. So yeah, lots of citrus on the tongue. Pretty good. Pretty good beer. The dankness is going to help us wash down tonight's film, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Why is the water dropped? Why does the sword reveal itself now? As your power increases, so do to the forces that will oppose you. The born king will come. desire to achieve it that's what all the fuss is about don't worry you'll soon understand what all the fuss is about are you scared i think i can manage you should be scared whatever it takes to hunt him down if i go down you follow him if he goes down you follow me you want him to think big Give him something big to think about. You wanted to prophesy. This is your prophecy. The man who pulled sword from stone. Behold, your born king. Now, Disney owns the rights to Mickey Mouse, Star Wars, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But nobody owns the rights to the King Arthur legend, which is why we see an attempt to create some new King Arthur blockbuster about every 10 years. First Night flopped in the 1990s, Disney's King Arthur tanked in the 2000s, and yet when Guy Ritchie's King Arthur Legend of the Sword opened on 3,700 screens in May 2017, it was still intended to be the first entry in a six-film Arthurian cinematic universe. That's right, but after earning scores of 29 on Rotten Tomatoes and 41 on Metacritic, the film grossed only $39 million in the United States against a production budget of $175 million. It opened in third place at the box office in its opening weekend behind Snatched, the Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn comedy that was also not a hit. 
Uh, plans for any future films seem inevitably, if not officially, delayed. But despite the bad reviews and the toxic box office, what's kind of interesting is that Legend of the Sword actually has a pretty solid user rating on Rotten Tomato. It, is also, it also got an A- minus grade on CinemaScore, which is the exit poll survey of audiences. So, Corky, you know, as just as the regular Joe of the bunch, yeah. let me ask you a question. Sure. Is this a case where those pretentious, stuffed shirt critics like me got it wrong or are you glad that legend of the sword is probably both the first and the last film in this misbegotten cinematic universe i wouldn't say pompous stuffed shirt egalitarian snobbish <laughs> egalitarian esoteric <laughs> frankly just ugly and unkempt yeah critics like yourself sure got it wrong mm-hmm mm-hmm but it'd be interesting to see more of this. You wanted to see part two? Yeah. You, you wanted know. to see the, the Lancelot solo movie? I mean, six is not enough. Give me a baker's dozen of these Arthurian Oh, Legend I mean, movies. if it was, a, it was a hit, you know, they, they thought they were going to make six Marvel movies at first, right? And then, you know, we'll do the Avengers, and then everyone will be sick of it, right? Now it's like now we're on number of like 57 or whatever. And that's kind of actually where their ambitions went with this. And sure. also kind of the reason why, despite, you know, the fact that this isn't really a terrible movie. Right. Um, I think that's kind of why it didn't really resonate with people and why it's not a very strong film that was supposed to launch a cinematic universe because yeah. that's what they were going for was a Marvel-style cinematic universe. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think this is a horrible movie and I, 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 don't, I don't think that it necessarily got a fair shake because I think it's really just sort of like a run-of-the-mill blockbuster-type movie for what a blockbuster is now. It's what it looks like. It's what the tone is like. Although the tone's a little more wild in this than than a normal blockbuster, perhaps, but you know, watching like um, Black Panther or other Marvel movies, like they all kind of look like this spectacle, spectacle, tons of CGI. The fact that like you know the camera can go anywhere and do anything, and people as soon as they jump into action become elastic, you know, superheroes right. and are doing backflips all over the place but the the reason this didn't penetrate and the reason why i think like the character doesn't penetrate the story doesn't really penetrate in the way that like spider-man does or batman does or harry potter does or han solo does it's not rich enough to build a whole franchise on although not that the movie doesn't try to really build up the fantastical elements and what i think is kind of interesting you know right from the very first frame of the movie this is a movie where magic 100 percent exists yes yes absolutely so let's kind of start with that opening scene of the movie is actually kind of impressive i was actually really into this movie for Thank the first you. about 15 yes. minutes or so right and I, i've started noticing like you mentioned in the aloha the warner brothers logo in this lights up with magic runes right. you know so i'm like okay here we are we're into this <laughs> yeah, we're doing the <laughs> we're doing the like it's frodo's ring on the logo <laughs> yes. stuff. yeah so but yeah the opening of this movie is a gigantic battle um camelot is the last stronghold against um mordred mordred is is the uh, bad guy in this he's uh gone rogue with magic these battle elephants there's gigantic yeah like which is very lord of the rings very lord uh, this movie takes a lot from lord of the rings i mean it's they are just like amazon warehouse sized elephants who are just like roaming around with like magicians on their back who are casting spells or blowing their, everybody up into fire. In their little magic tents. And we see the forces of good aligning 
Eric Bana is King Uthu Pendragon. Right. He's got Jaiman Hansu with him, who turns out to be Bedivere. He's got, got Jaiman Hansu. Yeah, he's got <laughs> uh, Aiden Gillen, who turns out to be... Uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> like, right on, it's like so not shy about ripping off Game of Thrones. There's just like, within the first few minutes, like, oh, there's that dude from Game of Thrones. But this is and all... then not the last guy from Game of Thrones no. is in this movie either. <laughs> and it's the Battle of Helm's Deep. It right? so <laughs> is, right? <laughs> in our opening scene. Yes. But it's a good battle. I mean, it, or it's fun anyway. There's a lot of like backstory and story happening right up top yeah before the credits absolutely so the bad guys are rolling in on these elephants there's a bridge out to the castle where Bana has a line of forces and um it of course collapses he, they do a really big cgi effect of eric Bana charging mm. evil knieveling a horse <laughs> yes. off this bridge the horse just goes eat shit down below <laughs> yeah. but Bana lands. more at stake horse i'm sorry okay <laughs> like listen the horse is the real hero here let's face it it was like uthu knievo trying to jump snake river <laughs> he gets into the tent where uh mordred is and effectively kills him ending the battle saving the day for good humanity wins by hair yeah uh, using the magical sword the king's brother his conniving brother who is actually in league with the mage uh has his red wedding scene which is like right away they're just killing it with the game of thrones references there's a red wedding scene where he turns on his brother and the entire castle everyone gets slaughtered and the brother and the mother and the little boy are running away, and he gets gets put out on a boat and sent away. And this the, is where our credits are rolling as a yeah, exactly. slow motion coup is happening. Yeah. And we've already stolen from Game of Thrones, yeah. Star Wars, because mm-hmm. all the good guys are blue, magic is blue, the bad guys' magic is red. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. I mean, the first shot is of like a giant black tower with fire erupting yes. right out of it. It is straight out of Lord of the, the Rings. The sword lights up with magic rooms like Frodo's sword or Frodo's ring, everything. Is, yeah. And e- even the style of the battle, all the bad guys wear this black plate metal. Mm-hmm. The Huge crowds. Troopers. Huge crowds. Huge crowds. Yeah. So this movie is $175 million. Uh-huh. That's without advertising. advertising. Marketing, yeah. Yeah. you see it because everything that happens is big and spectacular. It is that's and that I so I didn't see this in the theater and I, I didn't really even have that much interest so I didn't really know that much about it going in and so I didn't really know exactly what to expect and you can see right from the opening minutes of the movie okay if this thing's gonna be bad it's not because they lowballed it no like they went for it they, they went totally for it. went for it and. You know, maybe here's a good time to mention as we're kind of at the end of the prologue and ready to get into the actual movie. Like, why? Why do people keep making King Arthur movies when you've had like three of them bomb on a huge scale? And it's because it's essentially found money. Like you said, no one owns the rights to King Arthur. Right. You don't have to pay anyone for anything. Yeah. That's found money. Uh, I was reading an article and they were saying that there are currently. Uh, when this article was written uh, sometime last year, but that at the time in various studios that there were seven different Robin Hood movies in various stages of development, even though a Robin Hood movie starring Russell Crowe was an enormous bomb in 2010. Yeah. And every studio was working on it because like if you hit it and you actually do start a Marvel cinematic universe, that's cha-ching. Total, totally, yeah. absolutely. So they're always going to chase this. They're always going to keep chasing it. There'll be another King Arthur movie. In 10 years. Le- less than 10 years. Less than less 10 than, years. It won't even take them 10 years. You're right. You, we've had three in the last 10 years. When kind of doing some research about this, when Guy Ritchie was approached by the studio about, you know, we want to create this Arthurian cinematic universe, 
there were several different King Arthur movies in various stages of development that almost got started, that were almost made. They came very close and then kind of studio pulled back the last second. So they took the script basically from like the three or four existing King <laughs> Arthur scripts and just kind of like, all right, well, we'll kind of this here and this here, we'll a little bit of this, a little bit of that. The credits roll, we see this raft f- flowing through the river and it ends up in Londinium. Londinium. There's a montage that goes on for several minutes uh, and it, it basically tells his entire story from when he landed as a baby in Londinium until he's an adult and we see Charlie Hunnam as King Arthur. And in that time, he's basically saving money wherever he can. He's hustling out on the streets. He's learning how to fight. All that, all that was missing was this, all I want to do is a ching, 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 <laughs> and make that money. That was all that was missing from that. But I love that there's apparently a fighting pit run by some Asian guy yes. named George uh-huh. in the middle of this brothel. Yeah. Whether he goes and trains to be master at Wushu. Yes. <laughs> Why not? Why amazing. Not? Yes. So the style of this movie, so this is like, like, like you said, this is where the Guy Ritchie elements yeah. really start to come in hard. You know, the montage is really good, but after this is, is kind of where the movie starts to lose me a little bit. I mean, and, and Guy Ritchie is kind of famous for like, Thinks it's too clever. Thinks it's more clever than it is. Way kind of dialogue clever. and character names. Like I said, there's a character named Goose Fat Bill. Everyone has these kind of cutesy lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Wet stick. Sort of name. Because he fucks a lot. Oh. His name's Wet Stick. Goose Fat Bill slips through the fingers of the authorities. Slippery. Yeah. Uh, so he's pulling from everywhere and he's doing everything and he's doing it basically all at once. So it's just like this kind of movie vomit. Yes. You know, where it's like, you know, we'll do jump cuts flash forwards we'll do flashbacks we'll do the story within the story oh my god we'll do the story that i'm going to tell you the story oh my god yes this 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 yeah we're going to get to this this was a thing that fucking started to bug me so yeah, much. yeah exactly the flashback flash forward two scenes at the same exact time yeah it's so disjointed that it gets kind of exhausting yeah so he's growing up in a brothel, which, of course, Game of Thrones has sexy prostitutes. Like, there's no syphilitic, toothless prostitutes in this brothel. <laughs> Aiden Gillen, who plays uh, Sir, per- not Percival, um, Littlefinger. <laughs> yeah, he plays Sir Littlefinger. He plays Littlefinger. He plays Sir Carcetti from season three of The Wire. <laughs> He's caught hiding in the brothel. The black guards take him out, and the dialogue is all like snatch, lock, stock, because we have a scene where the Blackguard sheriff basically interrogates. Yeah, so another King guy Arthur. from Game of Thrones. Yes, uh, right. Reese Bolton from Game of Thrones. Yeah, that is Reese Bolton. Yeah, huh? he interrogates Blackleg. Not Blackleg. Uh, Lackback. That's his name. <laughs> Lackback. Lackback. Goosefat Bill. Uh, Wetstick and King Arthur. I don't care about any of these people's names. And it, it's a scene from Lock, Stock, and Two Smokers. It totally is. It's like, tell me a story. And then it's like, let me tell you this part of the story. And then I'm telling you, I, we had a nice talk with them. And then it shows them punching him in the face. Right. And it, that's I mean, the And whole... that is the Guy Ritchie humor. Yes. That is the Guy Ritchie. He even says, uh, wait, go back. And then show the scene rewind. The rewind. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's Ugh. just like, it's... Man, that wasn't even clever in the 90s. No. You know what I mean? Like, it was really tiresome. And it's kind of like, well, you know, Quentin Tarantino does the same thing. But he does. But there's an elegance to the way that he does it. There's an actual consideration of what is this scene? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, where does this fit with the story, with the characters? Um, and then he even asks him, like, when he's being interrogated, he says, are you writing a book? What the fuck's a book to these people? <laughs> They don't know what a book yeah. is. A guy raised on London Bridge? Exactly. Probably can't read or write. It's this mix of like real history with like 
totally anachronistic history totally mixed with like pure fantasy. He's the only one who always has clean clothes on and yeah. he's wearing all white. Everybody else is dressed like Roman yeah. with sashes and shit like that. I would say that uh, Jude Law was actually very he's he's above this material. He's mm-hmm. so good in this. Yeah. Um so he plays Vortigern, yes. who is the evil uncle who killed Eric Bana and sent the did uh Arthur the baby slip through his fingers and yeah. now he is while Arthur is kind of raising himself, Vortigern is increasing his power. He's building this giant tower that is going to be uh, some sort of part of his plan. It's sort of the ultimate part of his plan. And he's kind of getting more powerful as a magician. And We're told that the tower is important to him, but we're not told why. Yeah. And there's a woman named Maggie who's never really explained who she is, but she's important to him. Vortigern murdered his wife at the beginning. Yeah. To obtain the power to take over as king. Yeah, he becomes some sort of ghost rider type giant skeleton who kills eric banna yeah very cgi skeleton yeah. he looks like skeletor from the masters of the universe <laughs> movie arthur takes off what happens is that so the, the the point of the story there really is no point of the story there's no. a bunch of stuff that's introduced that kind of pays off later but not really the only thing you really need to know is that there's a rebellion because they talk about uh, rebel graffiti yeah. and how that has attracted the wrong kind of attention for, for Arthur, who is now kind of like this sort of neighborhood protector. You know, he protects the girls. Like when, when one of the girls gets beat up, he goes to the Vikings. That and, was like a trope that this one <laughs> this one prostitute keeps getting beat up. Like <laughs> she keeps seeing her in different girl. stages of getting harassed. Yeah, you know, women getting beat up, Game of Thrones again. Oh, I yeah, mean, that's right. right. It's classic it ripoff. He gets sort of waylaid by one of the king's, the, the Blacklegs. Uh, Arthur the, gets waylaid. We should mention that Excalibur, the ocean is kind of drained. Excalibur has revealed itself, the sword and the stone. Vortigan is worried that someone of a certain age is going to be able to come remove the sword from the stone. Yeah, well, a little bit because uh, if you remember the sea monster, who it turns out is the one who gave him the power, who gave Vortigan a lot of power when he killed his wife. Ursula from yeah. Little Mermaid. <laughs> exactly. It, which is kind of a cool effect of it like is. this sea monster who comes in and then it sort of unfolds itself and there's several women in there and they're all kind of flapping around. But they kind of come in and say, well, we revealed the sword because the true heir is out there and yeah. you know it'll be revealed. So the king has essentially had his black guards come and kidnap every man in the kingdom and have them try to remove the sword from the stone thinking that you know we'll kill that person they brand they them it. once they can't remove it exactly yeah. so they all, everyone has, has these little brands on their wrist so because the brothel's getting raided arthur escapes and runs into black guards who say you're of the right age you haven't been branded next scene we're on a boat floating out to camelot yeah so we head out to camelot um from londinium uh, he goes to the Sword in the Stone. He cuts in line because everyone's super like oh. awed by Charlie Hunnam for yeah. some reason. He just saunters up, tells everybody to check themselves. He's gotten to the front of the line. Yeah, exactly. Again, he's the only one in all white. He's yeah. the only one who's got no hat on. And then who is the leader of the Black Guards out there? Because why the F not? David effing Beckham? David, <laughs> like Beckham. David Beckham is the head of the guards who is like they're sitting in front of the stone, like minding the stone. And this it's is just such... one of those like, oh, that's David Beckham. And like, it's so why played for English audiences because the way he's, you see his back and then he turns around and his face just takes up three quarters of the screen. Yeah. Like, you're like, and American audiences would be like, uh, yeah, like it took me a few. <laughs> it took me. I, had, I think I wrote is that David Beckham question mark in my notes. Like, I was like, is that Beckham? I'm not really a soccer fan, so 
I mean, I should say that like this, this, the last couple of King Arthur movies have done a lot better overseas than in America, which is just one other way to say that, you know, King Arthur just doesn't, doesn't have res- a lot of nope. inherent pull. And obviously Charlie Hunnam as King Arthur is not going to be enough to like pull people into this. Charlie Hunnam plays every scene the exact same way. He does. He's very monotone. This is just a bad role for him. It is. He's not. Because his his character is supposed to, it's essentially Robert Downey Jr.-esque. Yeah. And he is nowhere near Robert Downey Jr. He's very monotone. He has his own kind of niche, but as this sort of, as the roguish hero as someone who's kind of quick-witted and funny and and all and super tough it just doesn't work he I've doesn't never, have those levels yeah i've never seen sons of anarchy uh i've seen sons of katie elder <laughs> it's basically the I've same thing my three sons <laughs> i've watched the phoenix sons play sure <laughs> what if i was like uh i've never seen my own son <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> i haven't seen my son in three years <laughs> I watch the Phoenix Suns every night. It's my son. Oh boy. That's a- so I don't know if he's 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 not charismatic to be likable, roguish, and he doesn't have enough gravitas to be King Arthur. Mm-hmm. He's some mm-hmm. of this middle ground. If he was one of the henchmen, he'd be fine. Right, yeah. You, you, goose Fat Bill? He could be Goose Fat <laughs> Bill. To be goose fat? Or Black Tack or what? Jack Tack? Jack Lackback. Lackback. I was trying to figure out these nicknames. I was like, does that mean he has no ass? Lackback. <laughs> he lacks back. <laughs> What I do think is kind of funny is that, so you have Eric Bana. So if this movie was made 10 years ago, when Eric Bana was being groomed for stardom for no apparent reason, right. like he would have been the star of this movie. And now it's like 10 years later, he's the dad who gets killed in the first scene. I feel like 10 years from now, Charlie Hunnam, is, like in the next <laughs> Ting Arthur movie, he could be playing the dad who gets killed in the first scene. Yeah. But what's great is that Jaiman Hunsu will still just be playing Jaiman Hunsu. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Like, the like J- Jaiman Hunsu role, like, whether he's 30, 50, or 7, it's just going to be Jaiman Hunsu being Jaiman Hunsu. Yep. The interchangeable white dude who's the star of the movie for literally no reason at all. Yeah, that's very much in flux. Yeah. But Jaiman Hunsu, <laughs> steady as a rock. Like, he is going to be that role in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. No one ever was like... Should we just make Jaiman Hunsu King Arthur? No one ever thought of that. Like, <laughs> That's true. It's the only guy we like. <laughs> so Arthur swaggers up to the front of the line. No surprises. He can pull it out. And this is another Lord of the Rings ripoff because the second he puts both hands on the ring, it's like it when like lights up. Frodo puts the ring on. Yeah. He's transported to another realm. Yeah, it's just like everything's whooshing around it's and the, the sword's same. just crazily powerful. So yeah. Guy Ritchie knows how to make those little... Uh, West End London criminal movies. He doesn't mm-hmm. know how to make big picture movies. Right. There's there's a lot of weird shit. Like Jude Law is talking to Mercia, his assistant, mm-hmm. and then there's a weird quick cut to him sitting in the cell looking at the throne or looking at the crown. And then it comes cuts back to right. And yeah, I mean the movie does a lot of that kind of jump cutting of stuff, but just it doesn't like, help. It's, it's all just randomly. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like there's any thought to how is this how how does this fit? How is this going to be an impact? It's all just very random. Yeah. So yeah, he's in the cell. He gets captured a lot, like really easily, <laughs> which is funny for you. Like this guy's a badass here. What do you see, King Arthur? Yeah, oh, he just got captured. He's in. He's captive in a cell, and he's not yet king. So he's like, "Look, let me go." I'll, he's just I'll like, just, "I'll take off." I'll I don't. Off. I don't have any ambition. And the king is actually like, "Well, no, I've I've checked you out. I mean, you got race in a brothel, and now you're head of the whole." brothel organization and yeah. you have a whole You're ceo of brothel yeah you got a lot of gold <laughs> and so like that worries me so now i need to be done with you but the weird thing is that like he doesn't just he doesn't just like kill him he doesn't yeah exactly he doesn't just fucking kill him yeah but his decision is that 
Yeah, well, sort of like the legend of the sword. Okay, so people saw him pull the sword out and do all sorts of crazy shit. So now the legend is sort of spread to the people. So if he just kills him, then it's like, well, shit, our, this guy is an asshole who killed the true king. So he sort of makes a public show of him. He brings yeah. Arthur out on stage and says, like, you know, here's the sword, and, you know, pick it up. And Arthur's like, no, I can't pick up the sword because you know, they'll kill all the all my all the people that they've captured who I love. Right. Uh, Goose Fat Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I just love Which, him. Yeah. So it's this whole kind of show where he's basically just sits on stage and is kind of made to look foolish in front of all of the, the, the thousands whole of people who yeah. have gathered in front of the castle. And Meanwhile, they're, they're doing a Vortigan chant, which is basically a Sieg Heil. Yeah. They're putting their hand to their heart, then their arms straight out, and they're saying, Vortigan. And it's basically it's supposed to be, this is Nazis. This yeah. Is he's, he's, got, he's, he's everyone is under his thumb. And he's, he talks about how he's addicted to power. Yeah. Just the only kind of only indication of why he does any of this That's kind of thing, point. you know, of why, because he has like, he murders his family members and he's really broken up over it. Yeah. And it's just like, no, I'm intoxicated to fear is an intoxicating sensation is what he says. You know, it's like they can hate me, but if they fear me, that's the intoxicating. And this part. is another scene where it's intercut between him explaining what he's going to do and, and then, then being out on it. stage yeah. and then going back and, and then the, going forth. Yeah. That happens. So it kills much. the dread. It, like if he were to sell it to him and then you see King Arthur dawn on him that he's about to die yeah, and then walk, watch that slow walk out there, that's mm-hmm. building momentum. This kills all of that. Yeah, it's just sort of like, here's what's going to happen, and then we'll have the scene where it happens. And- it's one of those storytelling tricks, the, the kind of storytelling tricks he's using here. You do that a couple, few times throughout the movie. Yeah, that that can be really compelling in the right spot. But like, you do it every couple of minutes. Yeah, it happens so much. Yeah. And so- the thing that happens... Is what we all know is going to happen. Yeah. He's rescued at the last moment while his head's on the chopping block. Jaiman Hunsu. Jaiman Hunsu. <laughs> also, uh, Jaiman Hunsu has been visited by a mage who we are told is a representative of Merlin. Which is. They were saving Merlin for that Merlin. And the, it's also an excuse Merlin to get movie. a female character in here. Like the only real female character. Only female character. Well, the, I guess the ex wife of Eric Bana the- who he keeps around. She, she's not the ex-wife. No, no. Dies. Well, who the, exactly. I don't know who Maggie is. <laughs> who is that person? I have no idea who this Maggie person is. It's never explained. <laughs> she's like Maggie. But she hangs around the castle. I know. It's just like... They save Arthur, and there's a chase through... From this point on, it is like just chasing... It's just chase messy. After chase. Yeah. yeah. They Yeah. They get away with the sword. They kind of have a meeting with the Rebellion now, who are kind of coming together, which is my oh. boy Goose Fat Bill. <laughs> Goose Fat Bill, Jaima Hunsu, and the Lady Mage. Arthur is snarky the entire time arthur is like yeah and this is another thing where it's like if you're just gonna make this movie about arthur we really really need to be into arthur you know what i mean and in this scene he basically is like you know what not my fight man right not my fight i don't want to get wrapped up in this dude like you were just about to be beheaded they saved you on stage in front of everyone and these people saved you and you're just like "Mm, you know i just don't want to get involved i mean like you're kind of involved like you are the one true freaking king yeah you're wielding excalibur right now but yeah he's just no i want to get into it so the mage who is played by just kind of an anonymous eastern european or french actress i mean they really were like we're going to spend all our money on special effects. Like, sorry. Exactly, yes. Like, we are not spending money for a, for a woman. <laughs> like, there's just no way. They're hiding them out in some forest rebel fortress that yeah. is fully operational with kitchen and Absolutely. stoves. Yeah. 
And the the thing is, this movie, t- there's no basis of reality because they're in this fortress in the woods in whatever time it is. Goose Fat Bill and his homies from the bridge just keep, they stroll in whenever they're just casually in and yeah, out. Right. Just- How do they know where the fuck they are? How do they get word to them? Yeah, everyone's just kind of there when you need them. There's no concept of time. Like, Vortigan now looks like an ass in front of everybody. We don't know how he's dealing with it, what's going on for, I don't know, about 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, uh, yeah this is really kind of a really sluggish part of the movie yeah. here, too. Part of it because, you know, why is he resisting? Wouldn't it be more interesting if he, like, wasn't resisting and was actually into it and was he, trying? Yeah. They decide he's resisting the sword. He's not able to wield Excalibur, you know, in the right way, so... They're going to send them to the Darklands. The Darklands. And here is the classic Guy Ritchie humor. The mage sa- tells to J- says to Jaiman Hunsu, he needs to go to the Darklands. And Jaiman Hunsu says, we're not going to the Darklands. And then the next shot, welcome to the Darklands. <laughs> like, that's how the level of humor is. It's like... It's so basic. And Darklands is basically old English for CGI animals because that's what the Darklands yeah. is. He's it's just like a, a giant CGI version of the Prince's Bride fire swamp sequence. There's rodents of unusual there's size. There's rodents of unusual size. Everything's of unusual there's size. everything, right? There's giant snakes. There's giant bats. There's giant everything. So, and it's, again, this montage, this very quick montage of him just like slicing through all of these completely insane things, which is normally would be like an entire – which is sort of the joke of it, I think. Yeah. It's like, this would be an entire movie's worth of stuff, is all the adventures that he has here on the Darklands. But they go through it in like 90 seconds. And then the thing he's supposed to be there for is he's supposed to see the death of his father, which he was a baby, and he was there for, but didn't watch. And he sees how uh, Vertigan, as the demon, slays his dad. But actually what he does, and I thought this was a cool effect, Eric Bana throws a sword up in the air, kneels down and lets it hit him in the back, killing him, and he turns into the rock. And he, his body is the rock that Excalibur was encased right, in. Right, right. Sinks to the bottom of the lake. <laughs> Johnny doesn't like that. <laughs> Our producer Johnny no. is just shaking his fucking Unfaithful. head. Unfaithful. That's the story of Excalibur. That's the story yeah. of how it got in rock. He basically has like a, a sort of return of the, or a Empire Strikes Back kind Yoda of thing. like, yeah. you know, like face your fear kind of thing, which is what the Dark Lance is. Tony and Robbins type. Totally. He's <laughs> like your maximum point of power, King Arthur, <laughs> right now. <laughs> so he comes out of it, like all of a sudden he's just like, I'm going to kill him. Yeah. I'm going to kill Vortigern. I'm, and I'm super into it. And they start know? a guerrilla campaign against. So now he's leading the rebels. Yep. And they start this guerrilla campaign, which again happens through a montage, which is, you know, like, let's cut off their supplies. Let's disrupt the slave trade. Let's do all these things with the resistance to kind of fight back against Vortigern and all the stuff that he's doing because he's trying to build his, his tower. That's sort of the ticking clock of this is if he builds this tower, this gigantic tower, he'll be all powerful and you, they'll never be able to stop. We find out that Maggie, who is the palace whoever that hangs out with Vortigern, she's yeah. actually in with the rebels. Right. Random lady hanging out at the palace. Who he doesn't like and kill because he killed his own brother. That, and yeah, there's <laughs> no reason for to not murder this person. It's just like just hang around. And he delivers the, the dialogue where he knows that she's in with them. Right. He lets her know that yeah. he knows she's in with them. They're going to do an assassination attempt, which is basically a sniping with God Carcetti from the wire. It doesn't matter. <laughs> just goose fat bill. They're all goose fat bill. They're as all far goose as fat bill from now on. This is sort of the big part of their plan is this assassination temp- attempt against the king and uh, Goose Fat Bill. That is Goose Fat Bill. Okay, fuck. Goose I- Fat Bill A, Goose Fat Bill Prime. 
You uh, fat Bill Oswald. Who is? Because he's, <laughs> he's going to snipe him from a book. It's, it's just like, that's an impossible shot. Yeah, so he's like miles away, um, but he's this amazing. He's quickly down under with the fucking bow and arrow. He's this, like, absolutely. He's an amazing archer, and he can hit anything. So they're going to assassinate Vortigan when he arrives on a boat, but somehow all the city kids know there's something wrong. It doesn't explain why they know something's up. They just know something's mm-hmm. up. Goose Fat Bill, though, is psycho, so he kills Mercia, uh, the Vortigan second-in-command. And that's when Vortigan realizes, lets Maggie know he knows she's in with them. But then does nothing about it. Does we nothing. just cut away from it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vortigern kind of escapes the assassination. He knew about it ahead of time because he he puts a fake Vortigern out there, and they yeah. can't see him from several miles away. He has his dummy out there. So yeah, Goosefab Bill is just like I'm just going to kill people anyway. during the chase through Londinium. Backlack. Gets Another hurt. chase. Another chase. Yeah. Backlack gets hurt. The mage is just roaming about wherever. She can control animals. We never yeah. brought that up. So she flies a bunch of crows. Now somehow we end up back in the. Wushu fighting pits. Mm-hmm. And this is a very male movie. Yeah. Very masculine male movie, which I think Guy Ritchie movies typically are. Mm-hmm. King Arthur, trying to be a leader, gets every tries to convince all his men to go into the sewers and escape. They can run away, and everybody kind of know we're going to stay and fight mm-hmm. because we want to protect you, and we're here for you. And But they can't say that. They can't be honest with their feelings. So it's like, afraid of the dark, sir. Fred Rats, right, uh, right. you know, I, and I thought that was kind of, and he's like, you fucking fools, you're all going to die. I thought that was a, a, a good, like, war moment. A good, right. Almost, it's not a St. Crispin speech, but it's, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And then he picks up Excalibur and completely just decimates the troops with the, f- with the sword. I mean, it's like a crazy magic sword. This was our first original moment in the movie is this fight scene when he finally feels the power of Excalibur because mm-hmm. it's unlike Lord of the Rings battles. It's unlike Game of Thrones battles. It's almost like the Snatch match in in the movie Snatch with um, uh, Brad Pitt and the the boxer at the end. Mm. And there it's, it's dark and there's that scene where he gets knocked down and he floats underwater and stuff. That was original. That was something unique. Mm. This is kind of like it was reminiscent like that to me mm-hmm. it was sepia toned yeah and it, the clouds of dust he's just whooping ass yeah and then it, when it's all calmed down everybody's just kind of looking like did that fucking just happen yeah. <laughs> right. and he just goes and gets a drink of water yeah i mean again it's uh, it's sort of a typical blockbuster scene the way they sort of do it as a sort of fake one shot kind yeah. of thing it's it's kind of funny because i just watched uh, black panther mm. and there's a lot of scenes a lot of action scenes in there where they do the fake one shot and you can kind of see how it's like, I mean, it's really like composite dozens of shots or whatever and lots of CGI and shit. Oh, it's, it's a ton of, he magic, the gatherings that ass. Yeah, it's, absolutely. it's a ton of CGI. Backlack has a son who runs back to the boat while everybody's trying to escape. Right. And when he runs back, it turns out Vortigan and his men have found Backlack. Yeah. And they're torturing him and they actually, Guy Ritchie, what an amazing filmmaker actually has Vortigan cut off his ear and then talk into it. But which is just like so Guy Ritchie literally his entire career people have been saying, Oh, what a Tarantino ripoff hack. And you know, it's kinda like, well, sometimes that's fair, sometimes it's not really fair. And then it's like, No, you just had him rip off like you just ripped off the most famous scene from Reservoir Dogs. Like after he dances to Steelers <laughs> Wheel. Like, why didn't he? Why didn't he? Like, why not go for it? You know? It, 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 all it was missing was like Mercy to say, Piss like, on this fucking turd. <laughs> just had Dennis Wright in the corner, just like narrating it man 
And if you're stealing from Tarantino, you're stealing three times anyway. Exactly to, right. To like you're, you're stealing from something else, but you're just you're from seventies grindhouse. Yeah. Uh, so while so while this is all, oh, so the kid runs back uh, while he's being tortured. He doesn't give up anything, but then he kills both the kid and Goosefat Bill. He doesn't kill the kid. Doesn't kill the kid. No. Kid makes it away. Yeah. Arthur scoops up the kid and runs out. Okay. Okay. Because the kid then gets kidnapped again. I mean, yes, that's right. there's a bunch of kidnappings. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, not that this movie is like hard to follow or anything like that, but it's, it's almost like pointless to follow. Exactly. It, there's really like two pieces, the beginning and the end, and the the middle is just a bunch it's of- It's chasing, chasing, yeah. chasing. I'm not going to do this. Okay. Yeah, I am going to do this. Exactly. No, I'm not going to. Yeah, I am. So we should mention um, that- uh, after the whole kind of scene uh, with uh, the mage and King Arthur being saved and Excalibur and everything like that, uh, the word is spreading through the city. Rebellion is starting to spread through the city. So the the king is getting increasingly desperate, which is why he starts torturing Goosefat Bill uh, B or C. <laughs> backlack. Backlack, <laughs> a.k.a. backlack. <laughs> um, and cutting off his ear and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, and he cuts his throat. Uh, Vortigern cuts... Backlack's throat in front of the kid, in front of his son, and this is a movie that it it I think it's PG thirteen, and it's a lot. It's a really violent movie, but there's like no blood. Like they cut tons away. Tons of people get their throats cut. Tons of people are getting stabbed. People are getting like ripped apart. Um, but there's like no blood in the whole movie, except maybe like a stain on someone's shirt. A harpoon flies through King Arthur's mom, but you see it coming, and then see it on the other going side. going through yeah, yeah you don't there's no viscera or anything yeah. like that it's, it's not even death becomes her level of going through yeah the but it's also non-stop violence non-stop at the same time so when after that happens arthur has this moment where he reflects on all the people that have died yeah because of all I the guess, sacrifice because of the sword and because of him uh backlack and he, he he uh, this is my one of my favorite parts he yeah. tosses the sword in the lake and then runs through the forest uh-huh. And I wanted a Kevin Bacon and Footloose dance fight scene. (laughs) How could it not? Just punch in front of headlights of some carriage. (laughs) Yes. But no, he just runs through the forest and kind of falls in a puddle. Uh, he does have it. There's a lot of like slow mo in this movie, which is just part of this whole filmmaking vomit kind of thing. There's a lot of slow mo in the movie. A lot of 300. And there's a lot of the big guy Richie emotional moment is a slow motion scream, like the scream (laughs) to the heavens. Uh, and in this scene, Arthur has a scene where he throws the sword away, and the, it, it is so slow, and it is such a, a huge scream. It really is like, like it is such an intense, like, <laughs> like I've lost it all. And he runs through the fire. He kind of punch dances through the forest. Yeah, punch falls dances. in a puddle, and then a hand kind of reaches out through the puddle. So this is we're going on a whole other thing where this is like mystical, kind of in his head, yeah. kind of thing. Uh, she pulls him into the lake. This is the lady of the lake. And she basically like gives him a pep talk and is like, the sword's yours, man. I bound it to the pen dragon line. Like, yep. Go out and kill Vortigern or whatever. Here's like, what it's going to look like if you don't. Yeah, this is, yeah, exactly. Here's the, here's the, you know, this kind of, it's a wonderful life sort of thing of yeah. like, you know, if you don't kill Vortigern, here's what's going to happen. So he comes back out with the sword comes to uh, back to the rebels and says our plan is I'm just going to go right into the front door. We're going to storm the castle. We're yeah. storming the castle. Storming the castle. Well, we're actually he's just going to go right in the front door and essentially surrender. So they get Miracle Max, they get the Holocaust cloak. <laughs> They're all set. And this is where the kid and mage have been kidnapped. Right. 
So he gets bitten. They also show him getting bitten by a snake. Oh, yeah. Mage takes him on an acid trip. Yeah, they go on a little bit of a journey before he goes directly into the castle. It makes no fucking sense. He, he gets bitten by a snake. And then he starts having visions. He starts he starts seeing tree people. Yeah. So people are kind of coming out of the trees. Then he he does get captured. Uh, he, he, that ends right. This yeah. little like thirty second little excursion and in, into psychedelia. He's suddenly ends. at the tower. He's at the tower. He gets captured. They, I don't even know how to explain. Snakes are around snakes. everywhere. Giant snake. Something happens with a snake comes in and. This is like Vortigern kills the snake, but then that snake creates a gigantic so snake. So this is the one part I thought. So they said she said meet him where the sword and the tower meet. Yeah, and when Vortigern kills that snake, the sword embeds into the tower. Yeah, and he can no longer remove it. So I thought, okay, that's where the sword and the tower right. meet. But now there's a big fucking end of Aladdin Jafar size snake. It's like an enormous snake comes in and just wipes out Eats all the king soldiers. All Eats the king everybody. soldiers. Yeah. yeah. And now Vortigan's gone all of a sudden, where he was summoning the sea creature yeah. at the beginning of the movie. Because of his daughter, who he still, he, throughout the movie, it, this is where it's very vague about his character and what all his motivations Guy are. Guy Ritchie, not good on family relationships in movies. Not great on, on uh, structure at all. No. Um, so. His daughter, who he has kind of seen doting on a little bit, like he really loves his daughter, but she's she's never like says anything. She's just sort of a quiet. She's there in like two scenes. She's just there to be there and to be sort of like the MacGuffin that is like, okay, this is what he's really giving up. So he's like, okay, I'm about to lose this fight. I'm going to kill my daughter. I need to spill my family's blood. Go back, spill more family blood in the water, and then I can become an all powerful. I can go back and be the giant, um, you know, Skeletor with um, flame creature again. So as is. Tower's crumbling and his men are losing. He goes up and he murders his daughter mm-hmm. the same way he murdered his wife by, by pulling a knife and holding her close and then stabbing her in the guts. Uh-huh. Takes her down there. And now this is where, okay, I wanted so bad because he, he takes her, her dead body down there, puts her in the water, and the sea creature will come and take the body away. I wanted it after because he, he, he's lost everything. Uh-huh. He knows what he's given up. He's murdered his daughter. He's murdered his wife. Uh, he killed his brother. He's screaming in slow motion. I wanted the body. Yes, he's punch fighting <laughs> in the cave. I wanted the body to be like spit back up and like the sea creature to be like, she's not your blood. You know? Ooh, right, yeah. Wouldn't that be so, <laughs> so fucking? <laughs> so like, all of a sudden, like the one, the sea creature Montel is like on the sea. He's like, that's not your baby. <laughs> like, he fucking sudden, dances out of there. <laughs> Maury Povich just pops out. This is like <laughs> that would be so great. <laughs> <That would> be <laughs> right. but, but they're so not. They they really needed to be a more invested in Jude Law. I think yeah. for this particular movie to work because again they don't really care about him. You because, know she's a walking corpse the second you meet her at absolutely. the beginning. Absolutely, and the absolutely. second they say all you ever have to do is spill another family blood down here, you know. Yeah. And so there's no really no tension to it. Right. From the sense of starting a franchise, you have to focus on King Arthur because of Vortiger, and spoiler alert for the next few minutes, dies. Yeah. And he's not coming back. I mean, maybe he could as just like a ghost wizard or whatever. But like the for this movie to work, you needed to care a lot more about him and why he was doing any of this stuff. Because like he's he's the uncle of the hero. And he's also the villain. And he's also somebody who we are shown has actual regret for the things that he's doing. Yeah. But also is really drawn to the power. But, boy, you just get that in just little bits of drips and drips and drips. Most of it is just so focused on 
keep everything that has special effects and cut the rest of it down as far as you can. But now that you say he might not be dead, I would love to see him back again, but they do like an Oh God part two. It's called Vortigan. <laughs> Vortigan. And it's just him like in nowadays trying to adjust to life nowadays. <laughs> if I was Vortigan. Okay. So now uh, the tower's falling apart. There's going to be a battle. We see Maggie is fucking still alive somehow. She's just in Amazing. a dungeon. Looks great. Quite a survivor. <laughs> Vortigan is whooping his ass because that's what you need in a fight. You need the bad guy to be winning right. for a while. And then all of a sudden, Arthur turns it on. Well, he has a vision of Eric Bana. Yes. He has some psychoanalysis oh, stuff. Yeah. He has some Freudian work done. And now we replay the scene where he throws the sword in the air. It's about to land in his back. And nope, he no, catches Arthur it. He catches it. He accepts his destiny. He wields his father's sword. Special effects go fucking ape shit. Ape shit. Oh, Everything. yeah. It goes full like Beowulf, Polar Express level. Yeah, motion capture. Yes. Like There's nothing real. And you're right. You used the great term. Everybody's kind of elastic and bendable mm-hmm. because he grows like three times his size and shrinks back down. <laughs> As the movements demand, Absolutely. it's they, they wasted all the CGI money on the sea monster. Yeah. She looked great. This yeah, yeah, looks yeah. not doesn't good. look so good. He kills Vortigan. Big surprise. Tower is destroyed, and now he has a whole. And they also have the, the whole as he's killing him. He has the "You created me" speech, mm, right? Um, which you know just sounds very practiced as you're like killing someone. You know, it's not even like a kill line or anything. It's really Hunt- like analysis. Yeah, the "You created me," "You made me this," "You made me stronger," and now I'm going to kill you. And he delivers it the same way he's delivered which, every, every line. single line. Like it's this is not a big deal. No. Several months later, they're rebuilding the kingdom. Yep. You can see he's building a round table, and they're kind of like, what's this? Yeah, what is What it? do you do with it? Circular. The Vikings who are. And what's funny is that the table's not done yet. No. So it's like there's like a wedge missing from it's the like, table. It's like, is that even how you build tables? It's like you, you just you, like. Trivial pursuit, and you only have green I left. Because right? like, you've avoided kind of, science and All nature. right, I've got five wedges. <laughs> And it ends with the classic. I mean, this is going to rival, like, uh, forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Uh, this is the start of a beautiful friendship. It's a table. You sit at it. <laughs> <laughs> that's our last line that's in the movie. It. So that's our movie. That's King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. That's the movie. It, you know, the more that we talk about it, the less I like the movie. Exactly. I, <laughs> we, I feel the same. It, it was way. actually sort of like watching it was kind of like, well, whatever. This is just a thing. I think, like scene to scene, it's just sort of like, okay, yeah. It's I don't right. hate it, but no. you know. But uh, coming back and talking over again, it was just it's essentially you're right. Like it's a beginning and an ending, and then a middle of activity. You know, like stuff is happening, but really nothing is happening. Inconsequential it, bullshit. Yeah, is it's just sort of like chase me here for no reason, and then tell me a story about this for no reason. And then there's a lot of sort of like heist type stuff and there's a lot of fighting and there's a lot of, I mean, like it really delivers the goods in a very basic blockbustery type of sense, but there is just no substance to it. And there's really no reason to care None. about any of the characters or about None. any of the situations that happen as uh, the guy, Richie treatment. I mean, he just kind of drains it of everything except for the very superficial style and, and storytelling tricks. Yeah. So rating the film, reminding our rating system, a sort of just run-of-the-mill bad film. Uh, we give a dare. The truly atrocious next-level bad movies, we go with a double dare. And then if it's a movie that was crapped on by audiences and critics, but we actually think it's pretty good, we give it a reverse dare. For this movie, I'm going to go with a dare. 
like I was telling you, I feel this is this is like league average bad. This is just ordinary bad. Yeah. This is this is like a standard Hollywood blockbuster bad for what for what is happening now. I mean, it was totally watchable. Rent this movie on VOD if you just want something dumb to watch. You it's on HBO. That it's on HBO Go. Utterly, yeah, on HBO. It's utterly forgettable. I totally have already, I mean, I just watched it a few days ago. I already cannot remember a ton of story details, even though I wrote a lot of stuff down. I still just feel like there's just, I'm not getting any of it. The big problem, like we said, is that Charlie Hunnam just does not have the personality for this particular role. I like him in other stuff, but for this role, you needed a Robert Downey Jr. type. And honestly, those those guys just don't grow on trees. You know, it's hard to find somebody who can be in a fight scene. That's credible. And who can also be funny, and who can also be charming, and who can also be kind of roguish and devil may care, and just, just not in Charlie Hunnam's wheelhouse. And no. so, ultimately, it's just no reason to care about this movie. So I'm going to go with a, a dare, because I did not despise this movie. It wasn't painful to watch, but the more I think about it, the more I'm annoyed by it, and the more it, it feels totally empty. I'm going to meet you on that. It's a dare. Uh, it's two hours, which is over long for this movie. Right. If it was any longer, it'd probably be a double dare. If I had to spend 10 bucks on Amazon, it'd probably be a double dare, yeah. to be honest. But it's HBO Go. I'm already paying for the service. It's forgettable. You asked me to describe it. I said dumb fun. And yeah. I would say capital dumb less smaller fun yes it's forgettable <laughs> emphasis on the dumb there's some good moments there's some fun moments jude law is really watchable don't avoid it but don't go out of your way yeah i guess i would also say if you are going to watch it try to watch it like you did on on hbo go or like i did a, i got the netflix disc if you're already paying for something because uh, exactly. steven mnookin who is the Trump's Secretary of Treasury is one of the executive producers on this movie. So if you actually go out and pay extra money, you're going to put money in his pocket. I mean, I'm already paying for Netflix. You almost just turned into a double dare for me. It's just like this guy is profiting from this fucking swill. So that's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel. But we'll be back next week with a review of Shining Through. I'm really looking forward to this one. It's the Razzie winner for Worst Picture of 1992. In the meantime, send your most sadistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com. Be sure to follow Dare Daniel on Facebook and follow Dare Daniel Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Like and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are found. You can read more of my my movie reviews in the Sacramento News and Review and at newsreview.com. And you can read my craft beer column in the Sacramento Bee and at sacbee.com. Corky. Let me pose a scenario to you. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm a podcast listener. I come home after a long, hard day of work. I kick off my shoes. I look in the fridge. Uh, You know, some soup. Maybe I can put a sandwich together. Then I think to myself, you know what? No. I want to go out. I want to go to a local business. And I want them to ladle me out. (laughs) A hot, thick... Steaming bowl of Corky goddamn McDonald. How would that happen? I tell you what, you go down to Jane Twentieth at the Sacramento <laughs> Comedy Beat. You get yourself some Corky chowder. You get some chowder, some brisk of Corky, heaping ladles of it. Uh, I'll be at the Sacramento Comedy Spot performing, uh, offering my flavors and essence to you on nice. stage, Daniel. Where can people find? Did we already talk? <laughs> we about already people? did that. Uh, well, fuck me. I know. I fucked you up. All right. Uh, for Dare Daniel, I am Daniel Barnes. Our producer is Johnny Flores. And I'm Corky McDonald saying it's good to be the king. <laughs>